0: Hey everyone, Natalie here from The Pendulum's Path. If you need guidance, direction, spiritual connection or more, then listen up. I have worked as a psychic and a medium for over three years connecting people from all over the world with their loved ones in spirit, giving them insight and guidance into their current situations, the past healings that need to be worked on and what it is they need to know today in order to have a better future. It would be my absolute honor if you would visit my website at www.thependulumspath.com. I also offer emailed readings for those with busy schedules too. Also, for you goblins who subscribe to the Esoteric Book Club, I have a special coupon code just for you. Enter the code STAYWEIRD to get $5 off of any order of $25 or more. Hope to see you there.
1: The Esoteric Book Club is brought to you in part by the members of the Esoteric Archive. Specifically, Grand Inquisitor N.E.K., Grand Inquisitor Samantha, and Soul Rising Studios. Their contributions help pay server costs, purchase reading material, and helps me in my campaign to protest the over-harvesting of crystal skulls. They already have crystal bones. We don't need to make life any more difficult for them. If you like the show and you want to help contribute, go to patreon.com forward slash esoteric book club, and you too can join the archive. Now, let's get weird. Hmm. Welcome to the Esoteric Footnotes. Welcome back, Goblins! I'm your host Jason, and tonight we have special guest, author of Northern Lights, High Strangeness in Sweden, Fred Anderson.
2: Welcome to the show, Fred! Thank you so much. I'm very, very happy to be here. Uh, I was a little bit afraid before we started that my 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 voice won't make it because I've been in a four-hour meeting before this. I'm, I'm just trying to Get my voice to work here. (laughs) Sure,
1: sure. No need to apologize. We all understand.
2: Ah, good. Are you sure? Everyone understands?
1: Well, most people. If not, we'll figure it out. (laughs) That's their problem, not ours. (laughs) So you are the author of the book Northern Lights, which, if I remember correctly, that name changed a few times.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it did. I, have you know... I, I'm a, I'm one of those persons that when I write a short story or a book or even an article, I often have a very catchy title when I start. Just for, you know, it's an inspiration. Sometimes the title comes first. And uh, with this one, I I had a title quite early called, I think it was Borderlands. And I kind of, you know, it was, a, you know, I like the title, you know, and I mention it on 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 social media, you know. I'm thinking of calling the book Borderlands, and everyone just say, "Hey, I mean, there's like 500 other books with that name, Borderlands," and uh, you know, my my my, I, I started to feel insecure, you know, can I can I publish yet another book with this name, and <laughs> yeah, it, oh, <laughs> but. The, <laughs> After a, a stroke of genius, it landed on Northern Lights, high serengetis in Sweden, and I'm, I'm quite happy with that title. I'm living in the n- northern parts of the world in Scandinavia, in Sweden. Uh, I've seen Northern Light, lot Northern Lights. That's that's the most beautiful, magical thing you can see up here. And it kind of felt, you know, you have these mysterious lights. So I think it fit quite good to the book. After all, you know, after all, considering all the other titles I had inside, I'm kind of still calling the book Borderlands when I see it, you know, <laughs> it's, it's hard to get away from. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I like the new title. It, it's a good bit of wordplay and it really sets the theme for the book. And that's what I really appreciate about your writing is, and I, I mentioned this in the, the previous episode, that your writing is Kelian. But you don't take yourself or the stories too seriously, but you also don't make fun of the stories, which is very, very important. You you relay the information and then you respond to it sometimes humorously, and there's a nice ebb and flow to the pacing of the book itself.
2: Well, thank you. Uh, I'm uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm very flattered. You say, Keelyan. Of course, I am. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah. In in my opinion, ufology, if we can call this ufology, because it has a lot to do with flying saucers, of course, ufology lacks humor in mm-hmm. general. You know, if you look at the the big names, they take themselves very seriously, and they take the you know the smallest, most boring spot of light up in the air. They they do you know they they're really hyping it like there this will change the world disclosure (laughs) is soon and I you know I can't stand it really I find the phenomenon very very funny I find it like a very very humorous kind of kind yeah phenomenon it's a it's a humorous phenomenon and I'm aware because I I heard this criticism. That some people get very scared by it, but I stand by my opinion that if you if you experience something and if you decide that this will be fun or this is exciting or magical, it will only give you you know a, a positive experience. But if you see something that uh, if you get if you get scared by it, I know I'm talking like a person who never had that kind of experience, of course. But if I saw a bunch of Aliens dancing, you know, outside in the forest, (laughs) I would I would enjoy it tremendously and I don't think it would happen anything nasty to me. So I I, I feel that, I mean, you as the as the witness, as the experiencer, if you if you see it as something beautiful or funny, it will be a very positive experience. I I know everyone will be very angry at me because of this, but that's what I believe, at least.
1: (laughs) Well, that's not the only way to view this phenomena either. It's very personal. It's individualized. And there's a lot of witnesses who begin with fear. The event happened and they're scared. But then it turns into this life-altering event that shaped the direction of their life from that point forward. And they see it as a very positive thing, even though it was frightening at the moment. So why not make it humorous? Why not diffuse the fear and the diffuse the situation?
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree, and of course I'm exaggerating a little bit. I would probably be scared if I saw a monster <laughs> out in the forest. But you know, I, I I feel that I could look at it in a different way. It's in, it's interesting how you mention exactly this because in the book I, I write write about a guy uh, named Ante Jönsson, who in uh, in the beginning of the eighties was literally attacked by aliens. Uh, he, he was driving around and he saw a big black UFO hovering above the road or by a field. He managed to drive his car into the, the snow, into the, the ditch, get stuck there. And some aliens tried to grab him and drag him into the flying saucer was a shock he was in a psychiatric hospital for days after actually because it was oh. such, a, such a terrifying experience but after that when he landed after that traumatic experience he became a happy joyful person who loved when these aliens came to visit him they became his friends it made him a happier maybe more beautiful person <laughs> in that way. Uh, and I, I love that about that story. I love how he at least turned it into something very rewarding, something mm-hmm. fun. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. Were there any other stories that really stood out to you that you you appreciate the Witnesses' view and how it changed their, their worldview, ultimately?
2: Yeah. I mean... I've, I've talked about this book a couple of times now, and there's one one chapter called uh, Like the Wings of a Dragonfly. Mm-hmm. And I know these two witnesses, Jürgen and Ulrika, uh, they had this just strange little experience in the 80s, 84, I think, basically seeing uh, a... Ball or a sphere, you know, large as a basketball, with a string attached to it, a thick string, and two <laughs> two wings at the top, you know, like dragonfly wings, and it was kind of hovering on the road. And they actually uh, drove into it; they hit it with their car. And at first, they they didn't react to this, as in many other cases, you know, when it comes to high strangeness, they just like, okay, what was that, and they. Continue to drive, but for them, I, I realized that when talking to them, for them, this was the mystery of their life. Mm. I mean, they're still a happily married couple, and they have a successful, you know, uh, company, great children. But for them, this is—it felt like—and I maybe I'm reading in too much here. It felt like the glue, you know, in their mm. in their. Mutual adventure together here in life. They never experienced anything like it afterwards, or or before that. But they still so happy to talk about it because they they you can you can hear them how they start to fill in each other's words. It's like a yeah. It's it's like the great adventure they had for a couple of moments on a dark road in 1984. I love <laughs> seeing that. I love seeing that when it uh, so that. Probably the reason why it stays with me is that I talk with them a lot. You know, I talk with them, I emailed, I've been interviewing them. And it's always I mean it's it's always a superior thing to to meet the witnesses or to talk mm-hmm. with them directly. Because you really get a sense of what has changed in their life or how they feel or outside, you know, the technical things, you know, what time of the day was it or or blah 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 stuff like that. It's to me it's more important with with the with where they are now, how how did this affect them? And actually most of the witnesses I talked with had a very very positive experience afterwards. They kinda kinda used this high strangeness event to explore life or explore the universe. I, I, maybe they didn't become astronauts. <laughs> That's I I you hear now I'm rambling now and I have absolutely no idea what your question was at the beginning here but <laughs>
1: I don't remember either but that's okay <laughs> I,
2: I, I, it, it seems it. like uh
1: the witnesses at least from the way it seems in the book they were very willing to talk about their experience that's not something we normally get in say the United States where People are just sick of saying the same thing over and over again. It sounds like where you are, they were willing to talk and willing to share how things have changed since then.
2: Every time someone has an experience like this, it's something totally unique. And when it happens in Sweden, it's like a hundred times more unique. How, how we look at uh, you know uh, the United States or France or South America or whatever, it seems to happen weird stuff all the time in every little small town. It's not really like that in Sweden. So when something happens here, something, hap- something extraordinary happens to someone, it's, it stands out in every possible way. And I also think that they, they sense this themselves. I mean, we have tons of ghosts here in Sweden. We have a couple of lake monsters, but when it comes to things like this—this, this this dragon, dragonfly-winged thing, or or aliens, or even even gnomes—is something a lot more rare. It kind of just breaks the the rational, secular swedish attitude in a very beautiful day a beautiful way and i think people deep inside are pretty proud of having experienced these things and that's why they want to talk about it or in most cases uh not always sometimes they i mean i, I i'm working on a ufo show now a documentary show about ufos and uh so we've been talking with a lot of witnesses, and I heard it a couple of times that they don't want to be you know made fun of or humiliated in in television, and that was kind of the the most important thing for us. We're going to do these segments with them we We need to really you know see the experience as they saw it. We need to to listen. It needs to be respect. It could be fun, but it needs to be together with them at least.
1: You laugh with them, not at
2: them. Exactly, exactly. And our host is a comedian. He's a an actor and director and comedian. He's a very funny guy. Thankfully, he's also very beloved. So when they meet him, it's like meeting an old friend and they open up even more. And uh, it's, it's beautiful to see uh, and to hear, of course. I'd say that uh, that's the biggest mistake many people do when it comes to witnesses to these things they either became become too distant or too cold because they want to you know investigate it like right? a real police mm. basically so they kind of lose that friendship along the way it just becomes business and to me that's never been a thing if i'm going to talk with someone i'm going to be their pal you know mm-hmm. and then they- continue to be in contact with them. Yeah, that's how I see it.
1: So it sounds like this book was an extension of your everyday work.
2: Yeah, to to a certain degree. Um, When I started to write this book, I was still working with a paranormal show, Spekjakt, which is, I'm not bragging, yeah, I'm bragging. It's the biggest, (laughs) absolutely (laughs) biggest paranormal show here in Scandinavia. No doubt about it.
1: Well, you should brag about that, yes. Okay,
2: I'm bragging, brag, brag. But the, the thing is, I, I've been working on this show for several seasons, and I've been working with another quite big paranormal show for a ton of episodes. And while sitting there reading about, about ghosts for the umpteenth time, I I kind of started to feel, I don't know the word here, and, you know, I started to long after doing something else. I started mm-hmm. to wish... That we could, can't we expand the show and look at UFOs or monsters or whatever? No such interest. But I began writing this, this book in secret. You know, some days are slow at the office. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to start to write a little bit here. And suddenly I had a book, basically. The first draft I had, I'm not kidding you. The first draft I had ready within two weeks.
1: Whoa.
2: Yeah, I know. But then, of course, I started to rewrite it. I started to add stuff. I started to remove stuff. I remember one chapter. No, I don't remember it because I don't remember which chapter. It wasn't the first version. And then I took it out. And when I suddenly got an offer to publish this book in the, in the United States, I put it back in again because I felt, you know, why not? You know, when it's coming out. <laughs> so it's uh, it's it's been a intensive but still pretty long process to to write the book you know because in each chapter i I begin with a case specific incident and i write about that and while do that was my plan from the beginning to just have a just the case basically yeah plain boring Mm -hmm. like that but after writing a chapter i was like hmm but i have some thoughts here i have some I have emotions attached to this incident or what I've read or the people I talk with. So I just started to add stuff. And I, I began remembering other cases that are kind of similar or, you know, it could be connected some way. And suddenly I had a, I had a, I had a damn book there with, you know, a ton of cases, not just like (laughs) eight or 10 cases. So it was like, I don't know how to describe it. It was like a, the, the book itself is a fractal because you you have like just spreading oh, for sure. But I, I personally like that kind of writing, so I'm I'm happy I went that way here. I, I like when it's a bit in all directions.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 and it works too because, like you said, you have that central case, that central theme for each chapter. But as you start reflecting on it, you you reach out into the ether and you grab another case that you had heard of or something that had a similarity and you draw that in and you make these parallels that help with the reflection because ultimately it's it's your thought process about the case. So we have to know about those other cases for it to make sense. Yeah. But it also makes it very journalistic, I guess it's it's more like reading an article rather than a a i guess more like a textbook hmm it's a pleasant read it's enjoyable it doesn't feel like it's dragging at any point, which you oftentimes get with u f o
2: books <laughs> yeah, especially when you're gonna squeeze out a book to four hundred pages about nothing uh, yeah. <laughs> you know it's I have a ton of those books in my collection i i you know I've never managed to read them I have them there as reference literature if I need to check on something but and, you know I can't stand a 400 page book about one tiny incident because I know that there is really not that much stuff to write about some some cases at least now I feel I mean here towards others others but I'm not I'm just it's just my <laughs> personal taste i yeah and i also wanted to keep the book quite short uh, i i wanted it to to feel easy to read, I, w- I wanted it to be a book that I could read myself. That's a cliche, yeah, I know, but I I just wanted it to be entertaining, you know. I I've seen a couple of reviews of the book, and um, most of them are actually quite good, which I'm you know I'm very flattered. But the the, the one negative review I've read begins with quite interesting rambles a bit. <laughs> and I'm I'm thinking of, you know, naming my memoirs after that, you know, because uh, that <laughs> kinda of fits my personality. <laughs> uh so <laughs> that would
1: be a great title.
2: Yeah, you know, I might uh, keep it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, it's um I'm I'm still, to be honest, kind of shocked that someone wanted to publish it because I planned to publish it myself, you know, do the self-publishing thing. Mm -hmm. And then I think it was Ryan Ryan Sprague at at Somewhere in the skies. He said, Fred, why don't you send it to Beyond the Fray? And I like, yeah, okay. All right, I'll do it. And they got back to me a couple of days later and said, hey, Fred, can we call you? And I, yeah, of course. And they called and said, "Yeah, we really want to to publish your book." And I was like, "Whoa! I am I I didn't expect that." Uh, Which means that I lost a lot of money by self-publishing publishing (laughs) publishing it because I paid for that, and it's it's not going to be. You're in good
1: company on Beyond the Fray. They have fantastic books.
2: Yeah, they have. You know, they they I think I. I, I felt safe there because Ryan have his books on on Beyond, uh, Beyond the Fray, for example, and I enjoy both of them a lot. You know, they have a very human approach to to the cases. They're not so into you know the the, the nuts and bolts porn uh, mm. of oh that sounded shady. I know, but you know the nuts spooky and bolts porn. <laughs> yeah, spooky. <laughs> yeah, <you know. laughs> so yeah, I'm happy. I'm, I'm very very satisfied so far with my relationship with Beyond the Fray. And, and, uh, and now I, I, it sounds like they paid me to say this, but yeah, I can really recommend it. <laughs> <that>. Great guys.
1: <laughs> they, they work with a lot of podcasters. So they have to have, it seems like they have this respect for the creative process and the tone and the voice that the individual wants in their book, as opposed to making edits and changes Ooh. specifically to match the publishing style.
2: I actually asked about that when we were, in the, uh, were on the phone with G. Michael Hopp, uh, one of the owner, uh, together with Shannon Legou. I, 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 you know, because this was the first time I published something in the United States. So I asked, "Do you?" I'm aware that, and I'm Swedish, of course. A certain Swedishness will come through. Blah blah blah. Do you want me to make it more? commercial. Yeah, I I really tried to, you know, sell out my (laughs) soul (laughs) there. I admit that because, you know, I didn't know what to expect from, from this kind of deal. And he said, no, that's why we like the book. It's your style. It's your, you know, it's your voice. That's what we want to publish at Beyond the Fray. So, of course, we went through the book a number of times you know, trying to fix grammar and, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. We still missed a shit ton, to be honest. So <laughs> don't say that anymore. anyone. Uh, but it's corrected. It should be corrected by now. Uh, so that was also a very welcome process, you know, to work with someone who, together with me, went through the book, said that this 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 is completely wrong. I mean, mm-hmm. not the content itself, but yeah, there is some grammar and stuff like that. So that was a new thing for me. I've never done it before. And, you know, I hope to be able to to experience it again, to have someone work with me on just polishing the grammar and, and spelling and everything like yeah. that. Yeah. I was kind of prepared that they would be like, Fred, you can't write that. <laughs> uh, but they, they didn't do that. So... <laughs>
1: Well, I also know what you're working on behind the scenes, so fingers crossed we get another English book from you yes. in the near future.
2: Yep. We'll see what happens.
1: <laughs> so let's see. We have two directions I could go right now. One, what was your favorite story that you, or favorite interview even, from the book? Or would you like to talk about Loam? <laughs>
2: Yeah. i mean uh the the that part of the story is it's um uh, i i've been i mean i wrote it down of course in the book and i've been talking about it from time to time and sometimes when i talk about it i realize that i sound crazy you know it's like what what, what am i talking about here you know it's it's <laughs> like i i sound paranoid he <laughs> Here's the thing with, with this this uh, this person, I was, this was, I don't know, two years ago or something like that, I was researching Swedish men in black encounters, because that's something that's a very, very rare. And I think it's because Sweden is less of a paranoid country than, for example, the United States. There's not so much secrets in that way when it comes to the mm. government. So... The few cases I found was quite interesting, uh, but I was kind of obsessing with them. I, I was emailing Håkan Bloomquist, which is a wonderful researcher. It's been around for a long time. And I, you know, do you know, have you heard about something, you know? And, and he said, no, this is the only thing I've heard. And during that process, I, I was uh, walking home from the store and a man was passing me on the, on the, on the street. I met him, so he just walked past me, and I continued to walk, and I you know, sometimes you feel that someone is looking at you, Mm -hmm. and I felt that, I felt that hmm, there's something out there, so I stopped and I turned around, and he was standing there on the street, you know with with his arms down you know, imagine Michael Myers or something,
1: that is so weird
2: yeah, looking at me and I felt, okay, it's Still pretty bright outside, there's no no, no, he won't drop me. so I was kind of I walked <laughs> home a bit faster, and I of course went through a park that's near our home, and then i you know I felt it I felt he's 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 behind me, and I turn around and he's standing now he's standing in the park behind me, maybe twenty meters away, with his arms down, you know, like he's looking at me, and I like, oh no, so I inside locked the door to forget about it. You know, just some creep. I don't know. Mm-hmm. A while later, I am in the living room, probably working on on the Men in Black stuff, and I can see how the cats are looking at something out in the hallway. You know, I sense that they're they are onto something, so I'm onto something. So I go to the hallway. This was kind of in the evening, and I see how the door handle. You know, like in a horror movie. You know, slowly moving up and down that that's it's very very creepy there's no no one banging on the door or you know try, you're just you're just slowly back and forth right i go to the i go to what do you call it the peephole yes. that's what yeah you and i look through it and i see the man standing out there very close to the door and i don't know why i'm doing this but i'm opening the door because i you know what is he doing i open the door and i ask hello what do you want? And he says, "Luam." <laughs> and I, <laughs> I, you know, but I, I didn't understand what he meant. But he he asked for Luam, and I said, "There's no Luam here. It's just me, and it's my partner, and there's some cats here. You know, there's no one else." Luam? No, there's no Luam. And I closed the door, <laughs> and and I thought it was over. But he was. I could look through the people, and he was standing there still. And a while later, uh, we wake up around midnight and we hear someone ringing the doorbell and he's standing outside again asking for Luan. So he was basically, every day when I come home, I knew that he was standing, you know, a stare up looking down at our door. So after a while, Mm. I was more like, hey, you know, good morning, good evening, because we got so used (laughs) to this person standing here. Standing there asking about Luam. I think the last time, maybe the last time I saw him, he was standing outside the balcony in the evening and I could see his white eyes, you know, kind of almost glowing in the, in the darkness outside. And after that, I, I kind of disappeared, just faded out. So, but this idea with Luam, you know, what is Luam? What is it? Is it a name? Is it something? So I started to, <laughs> I started to to search for it. And Luam is uh, it's it's a it's a form of soil I've learned, like a muddy soil or something like that. You have in the mm-hmm. garden. Uh, so that okay, that's interesting. Absolutely, it's also can be spelled Lam, l a m, which of course is the entity Alistair Crowley communicated with. He claimed to be an alien entity, you know, with this large head. Yeah, kind of gray alien thing, and you know, here my my paranoid thoughts just went haywire, and I picked up and looked at um, the secret cipher of the euphonauts You know, Alan um, H. Greenfield's uh, what do you call it? Cipher. Uh, you know what it is. Everyone knows yeah. what it is. So I yeah. wrote Luam into it, and the words that came out was like shadows or lurking or, you know, all these sinister yeah. words <laughs> attached to this. And uh, this. Uh, so, I, I mean, there, you know, kind of, you know, okay, I, I don't have a big, amazing finale to this story because I went on with my life and I started to write mm-hmm. the books. I start, I wrote a text about Men in Black and I mentioned this, of course. Uh, I think it was a couple of, I don't know if I mentioned this in the book, but it was maybe a couple of weeks later, or maybe a month later, or something. I had an odd synchronicity related to the place where I saw him. It was in the morning. I checked my email. There was some British production company who had seen a photo my partner had taken of me, where it kind of looks like there's a Bigfoot or a troll in the background, you know, pareidolia stuff. You know, yeah. you can kind of, because I posted it on the internet I, because I liked it. No one else is impressed. So I, of course, I was flattered that they thought it was cool. So they asked, they asked me, "Can we use it in in our TV show?" And I said, "Yeah, go, go on, do it." Yeah. So a couple hours later, I get an email from a friend in Norway, and he's, he, he sent me a couple of photos of large footprints, and he said, "This is troll troll footprints." And <laughs> yeah, okay. So we have two trolls on the on the same day. Oh, it's fun. This is great. Nice that. So a little bit later I go to the store, I go through the park, and exactly at the spot where I saw this man standing at the park, exactly at the same spot, I see something. I see a tiny figure standing <laughs> on the on the trail there. And I go closer because I it kind of looked humanoid. I mean it'd be talking like 10 centimeters in height or something. Yeah. And, yeah, and I go closer and closer and I I I I I'm very close and I can see it's someone have carved a troll out of wood. So it's a wooden troll with a big nose and ear, traditional Scandinavian troll as a wooden, you know, statue standing exactly there. Okay, this is of course completely pointless in relationship to the <laughs> men in Black and Luam, but it just it just ended up on the same spot and I remember I was looking up Looking around, looked at the window at the close that was houses, and they have this large porcelain owl looking out at me from that point. So it's kind of, oh man. You, you see, you, you try to connect the dots, you basically become insane. But um, yeah.
0: <laughs> it,
1: that really um, makes you question everything when just these little synchronicities start yeah. to stack up like that. Oh, yeah. And it definitely yeah. seems tied to the location.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely you know and and it's you know it was i mean the troll synchronicity was fun the the Luam guy was more disturbing, uh, I'd say, but together i i I feel that they belong together in some weird way, you know, I mean, you could see the man in black the the Luam guy, I call him the Luam guy and not man in black, you could see him as a troll himself or mm-hmm. a internet troll or someone that stalks you or you know it has these double meanings um but you know it's it's one of those things and it it uh it ended up in the book and it felt like okay this is a good start of the chapter about pen in black finally i have a good way of starting
1: yeah and it, it seems like there's that parallel that you see from passport to magonia where it's it's Fey like, but it's also tied in with the ufology. And are they really even any different?
2: Yeah, y- y- absolutely. I feel the more I read about, you know, I'm specializing on Swedish, uh, you know, folklore and and UFOs and high strangers. I'm basically only looking at at that. And I, by now, I see you no. Know, I, I I don't see any difference between modern mm-hmm. sightings of, of, of aliens and UFOs and fairies and and gnomes. Recently I've been looking so deeply into uh, I call them gnomes the Swedish kind of gnomes but it's actually their, their own unique creatures. You know you have the tomte, you have the vette, you have tisma under uh, you have all these local versions of the gnome but the tomte, it looks basically like you want a gnome to look like. It has a beard, has a pointy hat, it has old-fashioned clothes. It can be quite naughty, you know, and mis- mischievous. And after reading tons and tons of witness statements there, both you know from the past and modern, I feel like yeah, this is the same thing.
1: The uh, the the tomte have become rather popular in. In America recently, although they are still just called gnomes, but you see them especially around Christmas time, and has been picking up. Uh, it, it's been increasing in popularity over the past three or four years.
2: Mm-hmm. That's that's interesting. I, I didn't know that really, because I mean here the tomte has been with us in the medieval times basically. Mm-hmm. I think the earliest earliest mentioned of a tomte is from the. Bridget of Sweden, St. Bridget, who was this famous famous Swedish saint, she, she visits a family out in the Swedish countryside. Everything was countryside at, the, at that time, of course. And she, she discovers that they're not worshipping God or Jesus or go to church. They're worshipping the God gnome instead. So the, this family was working together with the gnome. They worshipped it according to her. Because at the time, they they considered all these forest spirits, these land spirits, they were considered da- uh, demonic, of course. Mm-hmm. It, it was uh, messengers from the devil, basically. Uh, which, for me, makes it even more fun. You know, if they <laughs> that, you know. Uh, <laughs> so 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 gnomes. The tomte is like a huge part of our legacy here in, in Sweden. It's like you see them everywhere. Not uh, not real tomtes, of course, but you know the symbol of tomte and, and mm-hmm. uh, dolls and, and such. You know, especially of course around the winter months. But that doesn't mean the tomte is has stayed away from modern life because people are still seeing these creatures. It happens even up to this day. Actually, today I saw a photo of an alleged tomte, maybe. What's quite interesting, it's a very blurry photo that a witness sent to Ufo and wanted us to investigate. Kind of looks like a little grey, but it also looks like it has a pointy hat on. (laughs) So I'm not... uh, uh yeah it's it's a very strange photo, and he claims to have more photos of it so i'm i'm i i don't i don't have so much to say about it at the moment but I'm very very curious to see those other photos yeah, it's of course as usual blurry and hard to see, but still there's something odd and you know hopefully uh, the witness is someone to be trusted uh I think it was like one year ago more one more than one year ago someone on twitter rec- told me, you know, check out this guy's accounter, And there was a forest worker, really, mm-hmm. really nice guy who had filmed uh, while working. He kind of did a you know, panorama shot of the forest when he's, he's in there. And he discovered a small creature. It looks like a small creature, you know, like one meter tall with a pointy mm-hmm. hat walking by, you know, uh, b- beside a tree, maybe 20, 30 meters away. Quite interesting also. Could be a child or an animal or a very small old lady or something. But it kind of looks like a a tomte. I think so. Huh.
1: Traditionally, what are their role in Swedish belief systems?
2: The tomte is originally, uh, the tomte was seen as the ghost or spirit of the first owner of the land. Mm. So the when people you know humans came, they built their farm, they you know grew their crops, everything like that. But the tomte stayed on the spot, often living underneath the house or you know you know somewhere in close proximity to humans. And the tomte is very strong-minded. I mean, he because it's always a male. This very very this. Hardly any female tomtes out there, you know. If you look at, at folklore and, and witness testimonies, he really he takes care of the farm. He helps with the farm, and if you treat the farm badly or the tomte badly, he will get very very angry. There's one old story, probably just pure folklore, where it said that the tomte got so angry he hit a guy in the head so the eyes popped out. So he's very strong also. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the tomte loves to live around farms and he loves to take care of horses. He makes this, you know, this is interesting. In, in, the, in the United States, you always have this, not always, I'm exaggerating. You have this, uh, they claim that Bigfoots make, um, uh, what do you call it, in, in, in the hair of horses. They braid
1: like, horse hair, yes. Yeah,
2: exactly. That's what uh, tomtar, uh, the tomte is doing in Sweden, to horses. The exact same and,
1: thing. and that's something you see in Ireland as well, the uh fairy locks.
2: Oh, yes. Except exactly. they weren't
1: as good at uh, doing the braids, they tended to uh, to to tangle a little bit, you know? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, they're, they're not perfect here in Sweden either. But you know, they they have tiny hands and you know this horse hair, the mane is probably quite hard to handle, so I think we mm-hmm. just have to live with that. So but I mean the, the, the tomte is a it's a it's uh a creature you you need to respect. You need to treat it well and it will treat you well. If you don't do that, it can be dangerous.
1: So what do you do in order to treat it well? What do what do they expect out of the homeowner?
2: They they're happy if you take care of the stable and barn, you know, just make it so it looks clean and nice. Don't put the horses or cows above their home so they pee down in their home. There's <laughs> lots of stories like that where they come out and they're angry because they get cow urine on top of their you know homes. Another good way, and this you can see in, in, in modern, uh, I mean modern traditional, so you just put out porridge uh, to the tomte outside. Uh, and I think I don't know if you, in Sweden people do that to Santa Claus. They put out a plate of of, uh, of porridge uh, on the doorstep. So so maybe a beer sometime you know something so you can doesn't have to be hungry and get more energy to deliver mm-hmm. gifts to people but that comes from the small gnomes of sweden you gave them some porridge something to drink maybe uh, some a little i i usually joke that i would like to go out and and see a gnome um, not hunt them but you know you can call it gnome hunting and then i will will bring <laughs> a small na- nice clothes and i will put uh, a small glass of whiskey for them, you know, and then, oh, I, will, yeah. and I, then I will hide somewhere nearby to see when they show <laughs> up. Maybe one day, I hope so.
1: <laughs> if nothing else, that sounds like a fun day.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: We have gone way off track from, uh, well, I guess this is all still still high strangeness in Sweden, just a little bit more nuanced than what's in the book. Yeah. <laughs> So I guess, uh should we reveal that that is your current research topic?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, let's do it. I'm my my next project. I'm I'm I've actually started to write, but I'm also collecting a lot of material because I want to write a book about Swedish gnomes, or gnome gods, if you can call them that. Uh so I'm I'm looking for old stories and new stories. I'm trying to look at them from a philosophical perspective. What what do they mean to us? What How have they affected us? How have popular culture affected how we see gnomes, for example? Is there something like that? Very exciting thing. I have no idea how long it will take me to write it, but it's. I, I feel that if I'm going to... I need to write oh, now I'm making it dangerous for me. I, I I want to make the ultimate Swedish gnome book in English. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see how that goes, you know. Yeah. Uh, wish me luck. Oh,
1: absolutely. I know I'm excited for this. <laughs> it, it seems like we're in this renaissance era for Fortean research, where it's becoming hyper-localized again. We've had a lot of time with broad topics and broad themes but now we're looking back into folklore and regional variants and and how individuals and and regions conceptualize different things like this and it's it's great to see it and i'm excited to see where it goes in the future
2: i think i'm i fell in love with local history local high strangeness history because i felt that The subject I'm interested in, which is UFOs and monsters and such, has become to stop being personal, stop being intimate. And I wanted to go back to my own roots. You know, I wanted to bring out something that people in other countries maybe never heard of before. I mean, there's tons of books about. You know, generic UFO books about the subject—you know—in in, in broad strokes, you know, it's—it's it's like, you know, we we read and, and we read that before. We, we I I can't even read those books anymore <laughs> because they I've I've read everything.
1: They say the same thing.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's why I'm so happy. For example, when Joshua Kutchin published uh, *Ecology of Souls*, uh, have have you read those books?
1: I have not had a chance to tackle that yet.
2: Yeah, it's a massive work. (laughs) That's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But that someone do that, get an idea. Okay, this has to do about death and dying and the process Mm -hmm. of dying and all the mythology around it. Then connect it to fairies, to gnomes, to UFOs. It's brilliant. And Mm -hmm. uh, I absolutely love it. It's such a massive work, you know. It takes time to go through it. There's so <laughs> much information, and, uh, and but I truly enjoy and love that stuff like that is coming out and become published. So it's it's out in, in book form, you know. I to be honest, I have a hard time reading texts on the internet. So I, I when I read a long text, I need to print it first on paper oh, to be able yes. to read it. So, so I'm I'm happy for books like this. I hope that people will discover Sweden and Swedish high strangeness a lot more, you know. We I mean n- nothing bad at all about Socorro and 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 you know all those classic American cases. I I love them. But I'm tired of reading about them. I want to read and write about stuff that I haven't read about before. My wish or my hope was that people out there would enjoy it the same way, you know, read something new. It, or new and new. It's old cases, but it's still new in many ways. I I I doubt I will ever write a generic UFO book. It will always go into folklore and, and Swedish weirdness for sure.
1: I hope you don't write a generic book. <laughs> that would not be good.
2: <laughs> I promise. I promise.
1: Okay. <laughs> you mentioned something earlier in the interview that ghosts and sea serpents in Sweden are pretty seen as pretty mundane as opposed to ufos i'm curious about that are there really that many ghost stories and and sea serpents in your area
2: yeah i mean um i mean especially ghosts you have ghosts absolutely everywhere everyone who owns an apartment or lives in a house or works somewhere they can always tell a ghost story and this is odd because it's, I mean, it is a larger stigma to talk about UFOs and, and stuff like that. But people in general have no issues talking about their you know, ghost stories, what they've seen or heard, or it's everywhere. I heard the most hardcore skeptics tell about the spooky experience they had. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, it's so common. It's so incredibly common. And, you know, I worked on a show where we went to a lot of homes where, that were allegedly haunted. So we brought a a psychic medium to each of these places. We could talk with the ghosts, which often turned out to be some grandma or whatever, (laughs) as usual. And he sent them off to wherever they go or told them to keep quiet and don't scare them so much. Uh, But it's everywhere. It's everywhere. We've been in apartments. We've been in mansions. We've been in every kind of home. And it's everywhere. I was kind of surprised myself when I began working with it because I didn't understand at that time, how common it is for ghosts. With lake monsters, yeah, you have a bunch of lake monsters in Sweden. You have uh, the big lake monster, which is kind of well-known even outside of Sweden. And you have, have Tabelsjö monster. You have everywhere there, where there's a mysterious lake, there's often some kind of big monster, a serpent or something else moving around according to, to people, you know, folklore and uh, things like that. Hmm. um it's it's i i you know i don't know why really but if you look at old rune stones we have rune stones everywhere here you can i sometimes joke that you can you know you can blindfold yourself and throw a stone over your shoulder <laughs> and it will hit the rune stone because there's always something somewhere depending on which age of rune stones you look at they often have a serpent on uh,
0: mm-hmm. along
2: you know it's slithering around the stone uh, and I, I wonder if that have helped creating people's experiences, or if they are created from people's experiences, or if it's just a, a mix of it. But it's uh, it's it's fascinating. Do you know I've seen uh, I've seen a, a lake monster once? No, <laughs> but I I lived in Östersund. Östersund is a, a town in northern Sweden has a beautiful lake and it has mountains nearby. It's a beautiful place. I was walking along a street street and there was other streets going down towards the lake so I could see the water down there. And this was a pretty clear day. It was during daytime at least. The sun was shining. And suddenly I saw something. I'd say it it wasn't that large, maybe 20, 30 meters in length. Swimming upstreams, you know, against the wind, maybe fifty—I don't know—fifty to hundred meter out from the from the shore, uh, and I was standing looking at it, and I was like, it was difficult to comprehend because you've been hearing people talking about this lake monster so many times, and suddenly you see something out there, you know, minding his own business, swimming by. It, of course, it could have been some natural explanation or something. It could be a whatever but i choose to believe it was the big lake monster because it felt like that uh my experience felt like that but it was one of those you know you see it and you kind of just continue to move forward in life you kind of yeah kind of it's it's odd the few times i've experienced stuff it's always been like that you experience it and you kind of almost forget about it it's It's been during the process when writing this book, a lot of these memories comes back. And sometimes I've been able to find notes I did at the time. So I know it's not just manufactured memories or something like that. I knew that something happened. So in that way, it helped me a lot. It's been wonderful writing this book because I've been starting to realize that, yeah, I had a couple of weird experiences myself. Because I always say that, no, 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 I haven't seen anything, but I have
1: so now i don't want to distract you from the gnome book because i'm i'm looking forward (laughs) to that one but it sounds like the the lake monster book may be a good follow-up
2: could be could be but you know i'm i'm really trying to find more land living or even air living cryptids in sweden They're very rare, but there is a story from time to time about something hairy lurking around in the forest or something slimy coming up from the water, grabbing someone. You know, this—it's always very. the stories are always very... It's hard to trace them, but I've heard a couple that's very, very interesting and could be... I'm thinking actually about maybe sometime in the future a, a book about Swedish cryptids. So I'm sure that lake monsters will have a chapter or two or three in that book. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. I don't want to jinx that. Now it's 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 gnome stuff for me.
1: <laughs> well, it sounds like even the lake monsters are pretty varied. You said there was like a serpent type but also that weird slimy thing that crawled up on land?
2: Yeah, yeah there's a lot of
1: potential here.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the slimy thing I've been really trying to trace that one down. I read the story, I've, but it's, it's, everything is so vague. You know, I, I need to go out to this specific place to see if I just find someone or ask some local there because I'm kind of stuck in it. Uh, we have a pterodactyl, some kind of flying dinosaur also down in the south of Sweden, which I've been trying to trace. You know, it's, it's, it's so much actually, you know, and I, yeah. We'll see, but the slimy thing, it's a good one. We'll see if I find something.
1: I'm curious if you run into this same situation that we do here, where there's this event that takes place or a creature that's been sighted in a very specific location. But when you go to that location and you ask the locals about it, they have no idea what you're talking about.
2: (laughs) Exactly that. For example, with this uh, pterodactyl, finds a lot of stories, people write about it, So I decided, okay, I have to contact someone in this small, small town and ask. So first I write to the local government and say, hey, have you heard about the pterodactyl flying around there? And they're like, no, but you can ask this (laughs) old guy, Jonny, he had a bookstore for like 50 years. Uh, So I call him and I ask him, have you heard about this pterodactyl flying around there? And he's like, no, what are you talking about? And... (laughs) And he's been a <laughs> this pterodactyl is li- allegedly living on an island in a small lake, and he told me, "Well, I've been a guide in this area on the lake and the island. He never, in his whole life, and I, I think he was around maybe eighty years when I talked with him. He never heard about this, but you can find stories about it and and, and gossip about this, and that's huh. that's odd. I don't know if it's a uh, you know some kind of." Um, some kind of creepy pasta going around some early but it's been going around for many years in that case so hopefully interestingly enough they found last year a bunch of dinosaur um, what do you call it? fossils not that far away including pterodactyl style flying flying objects I almost said but <laughs> flying <laughs> flying animals so That makes me wonder. It's quite rare with dinosaurs in Sweden, but they find dinosaurs in this area or quite close to it, which makes me wonder is there something to these stories? Because there's more stories about big flying creatures down there that goes back, you know, 200 years at least. So there's maybe some truth to it, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Now I'm trying to remember
1: does Sweden have. You have dragons in, in your mythology there, but are they flying dragons or are they more landbound?
2: Dragons in Sweden are mostly living in in inside the mountains. Never encountered a dragon story where they actually fly. They're mostly guarding their gold, basically. Hmm. That's 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 what I found. And there might be more. I remember there's some old story about a dragon-like snake that someone claimed to have seen as a child. It's based on the old Norse mythology, Lindormen. It's called the Lindormen snake.
1: The the connection I was trying to make is between like the pterodactyl sightings and dragons, and if there were any connections. But it sounds like. Ultimately, in Sweden, you have land-bound underground dragons, not the type that flies through the skies.
2: Yeah, that's true. I mean, most most dragons, or basically all dragons, are... No, there is stories often related to more historical persons. It goes way back. Uh, you have Saint Jöran, for example, who battled a dragon, but it was still on the ground. The stories we have about dragons in Sweden—they are often guarding mines. They're guarding their gold down there. So when it comes to flying dragons, it's—I—I I, I haven't heard—I haven't heard anything about something like that. If you don't choose to see the pterodactyl as some kind of dragon, which of course it could be related in that way, but the folklorish mythological uh, being creature dragon is. Is land bound, I'd say, or even you know, mine bound or or mountain ba- bound. It's greedy. It stays yeah. in place, killing people there instead of roaming around. But you know, it's Swedish folklore and mythology is a, is a large subject, and you can probably find something else. But it's it's quite rare in in general. It's quite rare with land living cryptids. Uh, actually in Sweden most of them are are from the water from lakes or from sea or or whatever we have a few bigfoot sightings in Sweden but they're very it's not it's not common at all and I'm quite skeptical about them, to be honest i was actually looking into a series of bigfoot sightings in the 80s and i managed to trace them down to a certain journalist and ufologist that i happened to know was basically a um, he made things up. It was really... Uh, so all these stories came from him, basically. But I was looking into them and all, you know, because it can always be something in the background. And I was asking at local groups in on Facebook, you know, they have all these uh, small-town groups. And there was actually a man calling me after that and said that what he heard, that during the 80s, during, I think it was 80, 80, 80, 84, 85, there was a homeless person or a, someone that was w- willingly homeless. He preferred to live mm-hmm. in the nature. And he had a lot of furs on and he never took a bath. He never did anything. He had big you know, long hair and beard. And this man claimed that this was what people saw at the time. They could smell him. They, he, they got scared by him. And somehow it evolved into some kind of Bigfoot story along the way. Who knows?
1: I mean, even that story in itself is fascinating.
2: It is. It is. I've uh, I've been very, very curious to see if I can find more information about this man. If there's anything written about him, who was he? Was he a you know a modern wild man? You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, because I mean, we have seventy percent of Sweden is is uh, forest. Just forest. So there's a lot of of space if you want to, if you're a cryptid (laughs) or a forest (laughs) spirit. There's a ton of space to roam around in.
1: Well, we are coming up well over an hour at this point. Before we get out of here, is there anything you would like to plug?
2: Oh, I'd like to plug one thing, and that's my book. Please buy my book. No, I'm very... (laughs) I, I'm I'm very proud of the book, and you you can find it on on Amazon. Or if you don't want to buy it from Amazon, which I totally understand, you can find it anywhere else. You know, at uh, wherever you buy books online. And please join me on Twitter and Instagram. My name is uh, well, my name. My account name is Homo Satanis, and I, I you know I love to connect with people. I love to hear stories. I love to exchange information. So please join me there that's 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 something i would like to plug books and social media
1: <laughs> excellent and i'll post links to all of this in the show notes
2: thank you so much
1: yeah and thank you so much for taking time out of your day to to do this interview i know you've been on the uh the podcast circuit pretty heavily over the past month or so
2: yeah but i'm i'm uh i'm very very grateful for having opportunities like this to talk with amazing people like you to talk about how strangeness not just the book but talk about the subject in general and especially these kind of conversations i find very rewarding it's very it's free-flowing it's creative it's fun and i love that so much So, so i mean thank you really thank you
1: and I don't know about you, but I tend to get the best ideas out of interactions like this.
2: Same here, same here. I've uh, I've had people, you know. I, I always tell people, you know, you have to email me that book you mentioned, or you have to send me that, because it, there's always something I hear and I want to, I want, I need to look into it deeper. And it's it also kind of frees your 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 mind, not frees it, frees your mind. It sounds like I'm saying it it freezes over, but you know what I mean. Um, (laughs) It (laughs) frees your mind. It liberates your thought process. Oh, yeah. Thank you. It liberates my thought process. It makes my brain and mind and emotions work a lot better in connection to this subject and in life in general. So, yeah, it's so much fun.
1: Well, I think that's where we will end tonight. So thank you once again for joining us. That was Northern Lights, High Strangeness in Sweden. The author is Fred Anderson. Find him on Instagram at Homo Satanus. Like I said, I'll post a link in the show notes. Until next time, stay weird.
2: I, I'm getting like ten messages. I feel my (laughs) pulse is going up from them. I'm just trying to make them stop. I don't know what's going on. And the cat is puking in the background. Sorry, I completely lost my, my, uh, what do you call it? My
0: train of thought.
2: Train of thought. Yeah.
0: Hi, Techie Joe here. I work with Asa Knight, some of the best psychics in West Virginia, to create amazing live streams and podcasts for the Psychic Coffee Shop Network together we brew up great content discussing news events hot topics and more all from a psychic perspective on the psychic coffee shop we interview amazing authors in the metaphysical realm coffee and tea combines asin with tracy Dottie, natalie or lady gwendolyn for the good and the bad of being a psychic shameless self-promotion with Dottie the psychic talks to leading and emerging youtubers and business owners in our community mountain bears brings you the latest in lgbt news and politics The Psychic That Plans answers the question of, well, how a psychic plans. Plus, we're live on air. We take your comments and your questions, including psychic advice questions. Check out our amazing programming, book an appointment with top psychics, and find out all the wonderful things we have to offer at pcsbnetwork.com today.